All right, everybody, welcome back to season six of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. This is the season premiere, so we're super excited to be back with you. We missed you, and we are going to start off with the momentum that we built up towards the end of season five. So what better time to bring on an Olympic gold medalist from the 2014 Canadian women's ice hockey team than right now since we just had the Summer Olympics that just went by. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bring on Tara Watchhorn Stone. Tara. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am super excited to have you on. This is a it's an honor to have you to have you with us and to be kicking off we, we, our new season. We're on three different platforms this year. We're on we're live on YouTube, we're live on LinkedIn, and we're live on Facebook. So um you get to be the one that 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 christens, christens us on these other uh, networks. There we go. Here we go. <laughs> so Tara, tell us a little bit about where you're from. Uh, I know you I know you I can hear a little bit. You you shed that Canadian accent a little bit, but it's still there. You know, we're trying to bring you to a little more Boston out here, but tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you grew up. Yeah, so I'm from Newcastle, Ontario. Um, for you Americans out there, we're right across uh, Lake Ontario from Rochester, New York. So I'm about an hour east of Toronto. Um, I like to call it a secret slice of heaven. Just one exit off the main highway, a, a small little town, a niche community that I got to grow up in. And, um, you know, back in the day, one stoplight type of community, but it is growing, grow every time I come home. But um, that's where I'm from. And, you know, my story isn't too different than most Canadian small town girls. Uh, I had an older brother who, who played hockey and I wanted to do everything that he did. So following them to the ranks and wanted to be there. And, you know, my, I always tell the story. My dad said that back in the day, I wanted to go with them to the early practices. I still wasn't old enough to be on a team. And he said, well, I'm not going to wake you up. So if you're ready to go, then you can come. And apparently I'd be down sitting on my hockey bag at 5 a.m. at the front door, ready to go. So, you know, that was kind of the start for me on my path. But, you know, I can't say enough great things about Newcastle, Ontario, where I grew up. And, um, you know, actually getting to be there right now and visiting family, it's uh, it's a pretty cool spot. It, it sounds amazing. What kind of – is it a city? Is it a, like a small town or – Village of Newcastle. So it's it, a small town. A village. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that's that's a little different. I know we have uh, villages and whatnot down here, but that's not really a term we use much in the United States. A village. Okay. So so that's so a village equals like a small like a rural type town up there. Yeah. All right. So you started playing in the village of Newcastle. Now, did they have a men's, um, girls, and boys program, or did you have to start with just the boys? Yeah. So I grew up playing boys hockey. They we really didn't have. Um, you know, girls teams in the village itself, we would have to go into the surrounding communities. So I grew up playing with the boys, absolutely loved it playing for, um, you know, the village of Newcastle and all my close friends growing up. And I was fortunate to be a part of the rep programs, have some great coaches. Um, you know, I, I played a couple of years of midget AAA boys. So we went a little bit further out to Lindsay and then, you know, around Pee Wee, I think after playing one year of contact, uh, ended up going over to girls hockey and played for, uh, Durham West lightning, which is in Pickering, just a little bit closer to Toronto. All right. So you made the switch from boys to girls. Was that something where you kind of guided that way? Or was it just kind of like, did you age out where it's kind of like, like, for example, puberty started setting in for boys and then it just became to the point where it just made sense. Yeah, a little bit of everything. You know, I definitely, I, it was a family decision as, um, you know, as I got older, I think there was multiple factors in it. I think everything you just said, right? Now, obviously the boys are starting to get a bit bigger, but also at that age, now I'm starting to realize there's a path on the women's side. There's a path to play for the New Olympics, a path to go play college hockey and to play for your province. And in order to get seen, you have to start to play in, you know, what's called the OWHA on the women's side. And once you play there, um, you have that ability to get seen and to play for maybe Team Ontario and Team Canada and all of my goals that I had for the future. So I think for multiple reasons, it made sense for me to switch over. And um, I'm fortunate that I went to such a great center. You know, I got to play with, you know, for the hockey fans out there, Natalie Spooner, Jen Wakefield, who all went on to play in the Olympics with me. And we played growing up. So uh, I think women's hockey was growing at that point. I grew up in such a cool time for the game. And um, it was a it was a good switch over for sure. So now that you switched over, so now it's so now you're looking at high schools. So what was that process like? Did you just go to the local high school or was it kind of like, a you know, because we have 
big high schools now, like some of the Catholic conference high schools in Massachusetts, where they can, they have a little bit more choice over who comes to their school. So how did that work? Yeah, a little bit different in Canada. I know it's funny recruiting now in the Massachusetts area. It's definitely a very unique setup, but I grew up, went to my local elementary school and went to my local high school. You know, in Ontario, we kind of have it split up um, just public school and Catholic school. And I, I grew up in a Catholic school. And um, so well, by the time I got to high school, I had to get out of the village because we didn't have a, a high school in Newcastle. So in Bowmanville is where I went to high school. And it was just kind of the next the next step. Yeah. So you go to this high school. You said Bowmanville it was called? Bowmanville. Bowmanville. So you went to Bowmanville. All right. Yeah. Clearly you're a standout because you ended up being a Division One hockey player for Boston University, correct? Correct. What was that process like? And how exciting was that to have a program like Boston University telling you that they want you? Yeah, I mean, it was such a cool process. And, you know, a lot of the times we have to learn on our feet, you know, learning what it's like to, to the process of going down south and playing Division One hockey in the U.S. It's obviously very different than in Canada. And so my, my parents were crucial in helping educate me in the process once I found out that that was a potential path. And in grade 11, they, you know, schools start to reach out, send, I mean, we're still in the mail days, you know, I had a box of mail from, from schools, um, you know, and reaching out. And then I believe it's July 1st um, after grade 11, I believe that coaches could start calling us. And, um, you know, I, I had a list of things that I, I knew I wanted out of a school. I wanted good academics. I wanted... Obviously, the coaches were a big factor for me. And so I started to narrow it down. And, you know, Boston University ended up being in my top three. And I was fortunate enough to have some, you know, opportunities to play for some established programs. And um, I was able to go on three official visits where you go on campus, you get to meet all the players, you get to see the school. And I got that gut feeling. Um, but a lot of people don't know when I committed to BU, they were only three, four years into the history of the women's program which now a lot of people see it as a very established program. And it was young then. There was obviously a great hockey history on the men's side. And for a lot of reasons, um, it was great. I was in Boston, great academics, like I said. Um, you could just see that all the resources were there for the program to grow. But I, I took a chance on it. I took a chance on the young program. And uh, it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. You know, by my sophomore year, we're winning Hockey East. And my junior year, we're going to the Frozen Four. So. Um, you know, both at the rink and away from the rink, it was just a great decision. And I'm so happy that I spent four years there. So I just want to go back on something you said. You said, obviously, the college process is different in Canada than it is in the United States. How so? Because, you know, again, you don't really see too many athletes from the United States go north. And but you do see a ton of athletes from Canada come south and play college football, hockey. Why is that? What's the difference with the, uh, the college process? Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not an expert. Um, you know, I wish I was, but it is it is different, like you said. And they they still, at least on the women's hockey side, that you know they still recruit players, and girls will still go and play. And I think of some great programs, McGill in Montreal, there, University of Toronto, out west. There's some great um, great teams, and I think just the biggest difference is that privatization of like that ability to offer a full scholarship, the funding that the teams get, the travel, it's just different. And, and the U S just does it on a bigger scale. And, you know, as more and more players go down South and just that, you know, college hockey uh, NCAA just ended up being that much higher of a level of play. But to be honest, I really do think the Canadian schools are coming along and they're both great places to play. And I think it's also just a sign that, you know, our game is growing. Outstanding. So now you are standout in high school. Clearly, you're a standout at BU. You leave BU. What happens when you age out at BU? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to be a part of, you know, playing in the Olympics was always my dream. And I was fortunate enough to be part of the under-18 program, you know, as I was making my decision to go to BU and then the development team. And it was my junior year at Boston University that I first made the senior national team for Team Canada. And my goal was obviously, like I said, to go to the Olympics. I was always kind of in and out of the lineup, though. I made a world championships in 2011. And in 2012, when I was graduating BU, I, I was cut in that spring. And um, there was a year, I always say there was a year to kill, but there was a year between my graduation from BU and when that Olympic year would happen. And for the Olympic year, uh, Hockey Canada picks, you know, 27 women to move out to Calgary and train for nine months leading up to the Olympics. And cuts can kind of come whenever. 
So long story short, my goal was to get to that roster, to get to that, you know, that extended roster to go for those nine months and try to make that team. But I had a year in between from graduation and, um, and for that potentially to happen. And on the women's side, you know, you don't have that same structure when you graduate college. Uh, you have the Canadian Women's Hockey League at the time, which was our professional league to play in, but it was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't amazing in terms of just the, the resources and everything that have been the support that it uh, eventually started to build. But so I had to make a choice. And the way I thought about it was I'm either going to go all in uh, to try to make this team or I'm going to start my life. And I went all in. And that looked like me moving out to Calgary, Alberta. And I played uh, for the team out there and trained. That's where Hockey Canada's, you know, offices are and things like that. And um, I was. Is that a professional team? Just to be clear, is that a professional team? Out in Calgary? Yeah. Yeah, at the time it was Team Alberta, yeah, and they were a part of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, and that's what was our professional league at the time. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I played a year there and eventually made that centralized roster, and so I ended up making, you know, having two years living out in Calgary, Alberta. So that brings it. That's a perfect segue to the next question. Um, so we're gonna hit the chat. And folks, if you're new to some difficult conversations by Supply the Why, one of the benefits of having these live shows is you get to be part of the conversation. So if you have any questions for Tara, please go ahead and put them in the chat and we'll get to them as they pop up. So the first one we want to go with is when uh, Mike wants to know, when did you know you were Olympic material? Was it early on? And did people see a prodigy? That's a great question and tough to reflect on. Um, I think I always... I don't know if you've read the book Outliers or heard about that Outliers rule. I, I really kind of was fortunate enough to grow up in a niche community where I was able to have success at each level. And so a couple moments in my life that stand out is when I went to girls hockey and I kind of looking at my peers around me and thinking, OK, I'm, I'm a pretty good player here. I can be competitive and keep pushing the envelope. And um, it was in 2002 that I saw our women win gold in Salt Lake City. And I was 12 years old. And I, I remember that moment because I think at that age when you can see it, you can see it on TV. You can see it as a possibility. Um, you know, now you can, you want to be it. And I think at that age, as I started to play more on the women's side and um, I started to get recognized by my province to play for team Ontario and then to play for team Canada under 18. So I think in those moments, I started to realize that it was possible. And so I don't know if I ever, you know, thought it was going to be easy. It was, it was a daunting, you know, feeling because there wasn't an under 18 program when I was younger up until I was at 17 age group and you know as a kid you're like I have to crack an under 22 lineup like how how long is that going to take how am I finally going to get that hockey Canada experience so I think it was I was lucky that they started the under 18 program when I was 17 years old and I got that first sniff of what a hockey Canada environment is and I got to put the jersey on and I think in those moments that just that lit the flame and um, you know I could kind of see a path there a little bit more so I don't think I knew from the get-go at one specific moment I think I constantly was able to kind of push the envelope and go to new challenges and have success and I think as you do that you kind of see a future you know awesome so you weren't so people didn't necessarily look at you and say this is a prodigy, like, like, for example, like LeBron James, like LeBron, people don't talk about LeBron James since he was 12. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, 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 it's a fact. So it wasn't yeah. necessarily that with you. Well, I think in a small town, it was, I was kind of looked at as like, Oh, who's this girl playing for the boys rep team. And, you know, I think so in that way it was, and that's kind of what was cool and built my confidence over time. And that's such great coaches. So I think in that way, it, you know, I was kind of looked at as one of the better girls coming out of Newcastle and then one of the better girls playing on the east side of Toronto. And then I was one of the better girls in the province, you know, and, and so it kind of built a little bit. So it wasn't like, oh, this this girl's going to the Olympics, you know, right away in Newcastle. But, you know, I was kind of looked at that as this is a good hockey player. And then it kind of slowly kept building. Awesome. So we got another question for you in the chat. So Dan wants to know, what year did you graduate from BU? A Stoughton girl named Victoria Hansen played goalie for four years there and was a goalie on the cup winning Boston Pride last year. So what year did you graduate? And then talk to us if you if you have a, a nexus with Victoria. Yeah, so I graduated in 2012, and I believe Victoria Hansen came in right after me. So I never crossed over with her on the playing side at BU, but got to know her really well at alumni games and obviously when I was a coach there and um, you know, definitely got to follow her career. She definitely left her mark on the BU program and has had a lot of success, you know, now playing professionally for the Boston Pride. 
That see, that's amazing. And again, I was today years old when I learned that my hometown had a goalie at BU. That's that's amazing. For All sure. right. All right. So from there, we have another question. Heidi wants to know, do you think that starting playing on the boys team helped you as an athlete? That's a great question. Uh, I think back at, you know, when I was a young girl at that time and the state of women's hockey and its growth, I think it did help me. Uh, and I, I think, but I, I'm always scared to say that because our game has grown so much and I want to encourage girls to play on the girls' side now. And I think that depending on where you live, you know, you're always going to have different resources depending on where you are. But I think it did help me at the, at the time it was the best place to play. I was challenged. Uh, it was, I had great coaches. And at the end of the day, I think the coaches in your life at that age group are the ones that truly influence you and help you grow. And I was so fortunate to have great coaches playing boys uh, to start my career. And then also when I went over to the girls' side. So long story short, I definitely did help me, but I do think as our game has grown, I think there is more opportunity for girls to play girls hockey sooner and earlier in their life for sure. All right. So let's go back a couple of weeks. So you and I had a conversation in my, and I, when I called you and I was at work and one of, um, one of my female coworkers was we, that we all, we were all on the phone together talking about the state of the world and whatnot. And mm -hmm. we learned something that we didn't know before. There's different rules for um, girls hockey or women's hockey and men's hockey. So there's no checking allowed? Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you when it officially, you know, when the rule book was made that way, but they're different. And the way they describe it is that there's no body checking in women's hockey, but there's contact. And, you know, we were talking, it's, there's a lot of gray area there um, and how refs are trained and how people define contact first checking. And but what's the difference? What's the difference for me? Checking is when you impede someone's progress going in an opposite direction. That's open ice hit, you know, um, you know, kind of that interfering type of contact, you know, and when for me, contact is more, you know, when you're meeting them somewhere, when you're earning the ice, when you're taking away their time and space, a lot of that happens along the boards um, you know, when you're skating in the same direction and, and contact's going to happen. Our game is, is fast. It's in an enclosed space on a sheet of ice. Like contact is going to happen in the game of hockey, no matter if you're a man or a woman. And um, so that's in general, the difference between how I view contact and checking. Now, did you have trouble going from being able to check in the boys side to the girls side? Were you like, did you have to, you know, basically rent out space in the penalty box or what? <laughs> I definitely did. And I think part of it was playing boys, but also part of it may have been my temper. So I'm not going to fully blame the checking difference, but it was a transition. But I think that the value of being taught how to hit and how to receive a hit crosses over to the women's game as well. And I think way more minor hockey programs, even on the women's side, just need to teach it. It's just the con, like we said, contact's going to happen and it's valuable to know um, either way. Outstanding. All right. So from there, we have one other question. So Dan, AKA Mr. Mark, and for the record, it is extremely weird referring to you as by Dan. This is one of my old, my old high school teachers. Uh, I don't, I've never called him by his first name uh, <laughs> ever. And I'm 45 years old. So it's only for the sake of this. It is not a lack of respect, Mr. Mark. So Mr. Mark <laughs> wants to know what other sports did you play? Almost all of them. Almost all of them. And, you know, soccer, I played um, at a pretty high level for most of my life up until my last year of high school. Um, but my favorite, my second favorite sport actually is basketball. Absolutely loved it. Really? My dad and my mom played college basketball growing up in Canada. And, um, you know, whether it was on the driveway at the parks, every summer I went to at least two or three weeks of basketball camp. Absolutely loved it. Played it in uh, high school. And, you know, I think the seasons being at the same time kind of, you know, throws a wrench in that as you get older. And, but that, that definitely was my second favorite sport, but I, I played a little bit of everything. So that being said, as a coach, all right, cause now, so now you, we're going to get to the, to your Olympic experience, but now as a coach, do you find that it helps your sports IQ to have different athletes that, with a diverse sports background? 150%. And it's, it's somewhat unfortunate. You see it now on the women's side. Um, a lot of girls are specializing at a young age. Uh, recruiting there got pretty early. People were making decisions, you know, in eighth and ninth grade on where they're going to school. That's a whole other story in itself. But, you know, girls are specializing way too early and they're playing only hockey. They're playing hockey year round. 
And even at Hockey Canada now on the coaching side, like we're saying, we need athletes. If you're an athlete and you do multiple things, you are going to be, you know, obviously you talk about just that athleticism, hand-eye, all that stuff. Your body's going to be more sustainable over time. You're going to be healthier. And like you said, that awareness, that, you know, that IQ, I think every sport is similar in how, you know, it's finding space, supporting people. It's, you know, finding scenes. Like there's so many, whether it's soccer and basketball, there's so many crossover and similar and concepts that cross over to hockey. And I think just that ability to work with others and do things that are different than playing hockey uh, is really valuable. All right. So now we're going to go back to the meat and potatoes, to the steak of the whole episode. Everybody wants to know about your Olympic experience. So you've done all these amazing things. You played at BU, then you played uh, professional women's hockey in Canada. At some point, how did you come across the decision that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go. Were you recruited? Tell us about that process where you said, you know, something Olympic is going to happen for me. Yeah. And the cool thing is I've, you know, we've kind of touched on it now as we've chatted about my childhood and, and things like that. And, um, you know, it was 2002, 12 years old. That's when I knew I, you know, it was a possibility for women to play in the Olympics and to go and win a gold medal. And when I saw that happen, that was my dream right there. And every decision that I made in my life was made with that in the back of my mind. And so then, like we kind of talked about, I was fortunate enough to get that under 18 experience. And that was the first time that you truly learned the high performance environment, what it takes to be a Hockey Canada athlete. And I think what changed my life the most is not just an athlete, but a person. The standards that they hold us to as women um, to represent your country, it's, it was life changing. I grew up so much as a person and player through that program. And so I was fortunate enough to make that team play my first world championships and then, um, you know, be a part of the development program. Um, but I was cut multiple times. My first year under 22, I was released. Um, I believe I got cut from, like I kind of mentioned before, the world championships my senior year for the senior team. Um, so I was always kind of in and out. And I grew up so much through all of those experiences. Um, and I was just so addicted to getting back to those hockey can environments that it just pushed me even harder. But so it was my junior year, I think, like I mentioned, that I first made the senior women's team. And that's like that senior team that could potentially go to an Olympics. Um, so obviously the Olympics are only every four years. So every year you're kind of really looking to make the two big tournaments, uh, Four Nations Cup in November and a World Championships in April. And those are the two big things you're shooting for. And I was finally able to crack that line up my junior year. And it was absolutely life changing. And I'm looking around the locker room and I'm playing with the likes of Haley Wickenheiser, Carolyn Ouellette, Jana Hefford, you know, all the, these women that I literally watched on TV when I was 12 years old, uh, win a gold medal in Salt Lake City. And um, that's truly when I kind of felt like, OK, this I could I have a path here. I have a path to maybe go to the Olympics. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I made a decision when I graduated college to go all in. You know, I think I grew up a lot maturity wise. I think I was stubborn and a little bit afraid of failure. Um, cause I think as much as I knew it was a goal, it wasn't until I moved out to Calgary and truly admitted it to myself and said it out loud. I'm all in on this, whether I get cut or whether I make it like, there's no question mark. Everyone in my life knows, I know I'm going out there to make an Olympic team. And I think that was a big life changing moment for me and a risk. I mean, moved across the continent and, um, one of the best decisions I ever made. And I was outside my comfort zone and I, uh, I eventually cracked that centralized lineup. And so a lot of people don't know this. I kind of alluded to it, but for an Olympic year with Hockey Canada, they centralize about 27 women out in Calgary and it's nine months, nine months of grueling training that starts with like a military style boot camp. And you would, we play in a midget AAA boys league uh, leading up to it and cuts can come whenever uh, you don't, you have no idea. You know, for me, I'm a defenseman. There was nine of us that started and only six were going to the Olympics. And that those nine months completely changed my life and were the best nine months of my life. And, but it was, it was stressful. It was challenging. I pushed past limits. I never thought I could. And uh, eventually after those nine months, I found out that I was going to be in the top six and, and going to Sochi. So that's a phenomenal journey, but it's called difficult conversations for a reason. So I can't just let you talk about the pie in the sky part of this. All right. I got to ask you what, was being cut like and how did you respond from being cut because you just said earlier like essentially you were missed everything as a kid so I mean and I get it like everybody said you're awesome and you're always hearing how awesome you are and you're dominating and then you get cut 
What was that like? And how did you respond from that? Yeah, great question. Well, first I can tell you what being the process was. Um, it was my first year, right before I went to Boston University. It was that summer. I was trying out for the development team. And the way that they do it is 6 a.m., everyone's suitcases are packed and you're going down to meet with the coaches and then you find out. And if you know if you get released, then you have to go home. So I'll never forget, I have to call my dad at 6 a.m. <laughs> I can't even remember what day it was to come pick me up in Toronto because I had just been cut. And you know, that in itself, you know, you always want to please your parents and, you know, have them think the best of you. And um, so that was tough. You know, it was a knock to the pride, 100%. I had never been cut from a team before in my life before that. But I genuinely feel like every time that I faced that adversity was so crucial in my career and is what made my ultimate goal. And when I achieved it that much sweeter, but it was 100% how I reacted to it. And I think I always reacted to it pretty well. But I was still a young kid. I think in a lot of ways, I grew a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I think I played mad for a little bit, trying to prove people wrong, which I don't think was bad because it motivated me. I really pushed myself. Um, but I also remember thinking like, all right, well, I'm going to be you now. I'm going to go help build the program. Like, who cares about Hockey Canada for the moment? I'm going to go to be you. I'm going to chart my own path. I'm going to be a go-to player. And that's how that first cut kind of shaped me. And um, I think it was good because it, I responded in a way that I was going to prove people wrong. So I think it was good in that motivation, but I wouldn't say it was sustainable motivation. I ended up learning that later in my career. You burn yourself out a little bit. You can only anger. Anger is a, is a, it's almost like a jet fuel. You know what I mean? It's good for yeah. short explosive burst, but after a while it's, it's exhausting to be fueled by anger. I, I, um, I could, well, some other time you and I can talk about that, but I do know <laughs> a thing or two about being fueled by anger, and I do know that it, it only has a little bit amount of, of time to it. So you cut. How did you avoid doing what a lot of athletes do? A lot of athletes, they get their first disappointment or they get a major disappointment. They really want to start pointing fingers at other people, blaming teammates. I wasn't getting the puck. I wasn't mm -hmm. getting, you know. So how did you avoid the pitfalls of that, or did you do that and have somebody in your life call you out on it? I love that you asked that question. It's funny, you know, I, me and my dad were talking about it literally the other night. And I think that I never really did. I mean, we'll always sit there and say, I think I maybe could have made it over this person or this and that. But it, in my family, my support system, we kind of always nip those conversations in the butt. Because at the end of the day, I just believed in Hockey Canada. I believed in everything it stood for. I believe that at the end of the day, they're making decisions for a reason. And I think that's part of what helped me respond to these moments, those you know, moments of adversity in the way I did. Um, you know, obviously you're frustrated, but I truly give you know credit to my support system who just always believed in the process, believed in me. And I think because of that, we did, we really didn't have a lot of those conversations. It was more about, okay, what can I do to be there next time? And I think that really did shape, you know, like I said, how I responded and, and grew, you know, over those years and those moments of being cut. So before we go any further, what message would you have? Because this show, as I'm sure there's a lot of hockey people, there's parents, there's people that might not have things good, that might have things going on. They couldn't make the live, but this is going to be shared over and over and over again. So please, what message do you have for young athletes, boys and girls about that process and what they can learn from it? Yeah, it's always easier said than done. You know, I can sit here and say, you know, you just have to, you got to move on. You can't be stuck in it. You got to use it as motivation. It's always how you respond to adversity that defines you. And all of those things are true, but it is easier said than done. And I think when we're younger, a big reflection that I have is that when you're a young athlete, you're like this. All you can see in those moments. I remember even to backtrack a little bit, like when you're on the ice, I remember thinking coaches see everything that I do. The reality is coaches can't see everything that you do. Like they don't remember every mistake. They don't remember, you know, as a coach now, like I'm looking for players that have impact on the game and I'm remembering the players that stand out that way. And it's not, not playing to make a mistake. So I think my biggest advice that way is to not take those moments and kind of go, Oh, I made this mistake. That's why I got cut or I did this. And that's why I got cut. It's, it's more about, okay, how can you be better? How can you have more of an impact next time? And I think when we have that tunnel vision as young athletes, we truly can't see the big picture. And every time it's okay to take a step back and reflect on where you want to go and, and how that moment will affect you. And to truly just take pride in who you are as a human being 
and know that it's how you respond to that that's going to shape you and how people view you, which is the most important thing, not just a hockey player or an athlete. That's that's amazing feedback. And, and again, parents, uh, again, if you're tuning in, this is Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. The, these are the golden nuggets that motivate us to keep these shows going because this is a, a, a free life lessons, leadership lesson class for adults and for children, because these aren't just lessons for the life, for life. This, I mean, for, uh, for hockey, this, this is, these are life lessons too, right? So you've oh, taken yeah. some of these lessons and now you've made the Olympic teams. Tell me about Sochi. Where do I start? I mean, to be honest with you, it was a blur, an absolute blur. And what I take from that, another life lesson is just the fact that preparation equals confidence. And I truly felt it in that year. And I truly felt it, how hard our team worked, everything we did leading up to Sochi. When you get into that moment, you just get to perform. It's muscle memory. You're not even thinking about it. I can't tell you many memories from any of the games. Uh, and I can barely remember my only Olympic goal that I scored in game number one, but it really is. And I think that's one of the biggest life lessons I took away from that is just that confidence comes from preparation. And I love that. I love it. 100%. And the, I mean, the experience was great. At, at the end of the day, like I said, since I was 12 years old, every decision that I made in my life was made with that Olympic goal in the back of my mind. And by the time that you get there, when I was 24, you just play, you just go, you just enjoy it. And I remember just being so in the moment, enjoying every little piece of it from the opening ceremonies to the athlete village, to playing and putting that jersey on and my family getting to be there. And um, it really is more of just the you work so hard for this and this is the reward you're, you're at the Olympics. And it was a great experience. It really was so cool to be a part of a bigger team. Canada was really cool because I've always had the goal of putting these jerseys on behind me, but like to be a part of team Canada with other athletes and meet them and learn their journeys is uh, really special. And I think puts a lot of things in perspective when you get to that level. Now, did you get a chance to interact with with uh, players from other teams a lot while you were there? Or, did they, or were you really kind of like, we're going to be playing these people. I can't even have a conversation with them because I'm going to be in their face in a day. You know, what was that <laughs> like? Yeah, I think over the years, you get to know some of the, especially for us, a lot of the U.S. girls playing in college, you know them a little bit, which, um, but I think in that moment, we're, we're with our Canadian teammates and we're getting ready. You know, hockey is one of the longer sports. The Olympics is roughly two weeks long and hockey kind of goes throughout the, you know, the whole time. You can slowly feel it in the village as sports and events start to finish. You can feel the energy. Other athletes are out celebrating. And, uh, but you know, we our gold medal game isn't until a few days left. Um, so I think you kind of, you stay in your bubble a little bit, you know, you still enjoy the people around you and meet, other people, I think for the most part, I met more athletes from Canada, but you know, we also have the, you know, the dining hall where you literally see every athlete from every country and and it's cool. And you know, there's some little bit of crossover, but I wouldn't say it was extensive. Okay. I, I, cause, cause when you say the dining hall, it, you know, maybe it's cause of my age, I immediately go back to like those bad eighties movies. Like, so you're, <laughs> you're in the cafeteria and it's all these clicks and people throwing shoulders into each other in the lunch line <laughs> and things like that. Was there any of that? Was there any of that? that thick animosity or, or what? I think more of an awe, more of just a, oh, cool, that's so-and-so, or I've seen them, or I know their journey. And I think just that appreciation, whether when I saw like Zdeno Chara there, obviously he stood up way more than everyone else. And, uh, you know, you just kind of appreciate it. Uh, less of throwing the elbows, although I'm sure if um, people got in the way in between them and them and McDonald's by the end of the Olympics, there might be some elbows thrown. <laughs> All right. So let's let's go to the gold medal game. You talked about energy and the excitement. You guys draw the United States in the gold medal game. It's everything you probably ever wanted. We all have rivals. I have to imagine that the United States is probably your number one rival, yes? Yeah, correct. All right. So you draw them. You're there. Puck drops. And before you know it, you're down 2 nothing in that game. What was that like? Yeah, it, it was. It's crazy to think about now. It's just... I think I go back to that preparation equals confidence. And, you know, our team slogan that year was unity and adversity. And we had faced so much of it that, I mean, our centralization year goes down in history as one of the toughest ones out there. And we went through so much. I mean, our coach was replaced like two months before the Olympics. Our captaincy changed over. Um, you know, we were very much still coming to it together as a team really late. 
And I think because of everything that we went through and all of our preparation, I mean, we never got too high or too low in that game. And I, I give a lot of credit to our veteran leadership who had been there before. And so as much as it's like, oh man, like you kind of felt that, that gut feeling like, man, what if we lose? Like, but at the same time, I'm looking over at my veteran teammates and there's no doubt in their mind, just one shift at a time, one shift at a time. And um, I truly can say that there was never really too high or too low in that moment and um, pretty crazy comeback. Crazy comeback. And I believe the final <laughs> score was three, two, right? It was, it was. Oh my goodness. So I, it, so the, so that last goal goes in. And I think I don't think there was too much time left in the game, right? It was kind of late in the game when that last goal was scored. Overtime. It was overtime. So overtime goal goes in. You probably could hear the puck hit the back of the net. Tell me about the celebration. Tell me about that moment. Yeah, it was. Um, well, all I really remember is how fast can I get off the bench and get into that pile? But <laughs> in terms of feeling, I always describe it as just complete relief. Um, as you know, we, I always say that it's relief. arguably harder to, relief. It's arguably mm. harder in our country to make our national team than it is to medal. Um, and when I made that team, absolutely unbelievable feeling about 30 minutes after I made that team. Oh shit. Now we have to win. That's the expectation in Canada. That's why we go to the Olympics. We're going to win gold and you feel that pressure. You really do. And so when I say relief, that's it right there. Just absolute relief. All of our hard work paid off. We won gold for Canada. This is what we were expected to do, and we did it. And I think when you go back and watch Poulin and actually watch her, I've never asked her this to confirm it, but if you watch her celebration, she goes down, not up. And it's almost that feeling of like, oh, we did it. Obviously, pure joy and happiness. I mean, the adrenaline I had maybe lasted me a complete two weeks before I came down from it. But it was that, you know, happiness and relief. I, I, I just, I just, I, I can't imagine what that was like. I watched the clip. I probably watched it about 14 times. I mean, it, it, it was just unbelievable that, that celebration. The only thing that would have made it better was if you had beat somebody other than the United States. You know, <laughs> that there was a I little can bit give of, you that. I can understand that. A little bit of Twain on it from there, but you know, because we know each other, I, I guess I can, I can let it slide this one time. Uh, I appreciate but it, that. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, that was amazing. And, um, and yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I, I just, it, it's an honor to have you come on here and, sh and share that story. So I'm going to hit the chat again. So Dan has another comment. Um, it says, I have coached longer than both of you have been alive. And it is refreshing to hear things that I have always taught reinforced. Great messages being passed on, especially playing multiple sports and how to deal with rejection. Thanks, Dan. Out out awesome. out outstanding. All right. So. You're an Olympic gold medalist. Did you try to go back again for another, uh, make another team? And what I happened did. there? What happened Yeah, there? that's a great question. And I, funny, I was actually reflecting on it with my parents um, a couple nights ago. And I think about half. I did. I went back and I played. And I moved back to Boston. My husband, as you know, is from Boston. And um, he proposed. And I came back and um, I played for the Boston Blades in the Canadian Women's Hockey League. And I was going for it. I think the biggest thing that drew me back is it's like, as you know, probably from going through a police academy, it's an un, you, you can't explain that environment to anyone else. No one else gets it. Mm -hmm. And being an elite athlete, no one else gets that year. And you, it's the high and you constantly want to go back to get to that environment and get, get that high. But it's tough because Olympics are only every four years. A world championship is only once a year and you're literally, your life is kind of like this and it's tough. Um, but I was addicted to that environment and that feeling and being pushed outside my comfort zone and, and achieving, um, you know, pushing past my limits. And I think that's what drew me back to keep playing, obviously. And then that team environment um, is why I played for three more years. And um, I was, I was going for another one. And, you know, I think a lot of different things happened in my life, but I didn't end up making that next, that last centralization in 2017 there leading up to Pyeongchang. And when I reflect on those three years, some of the most amazing teams I played for in Boston, some great cultures, real, a lot of challenges training and trying to play for team Canada while being in the U S um, as well. But I kind of started to become somewhat of a little bit of a player coach. I wore the captain for Boston the last couple of years. And um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but beyond my athlete 
the side of that, you know, of my career, I always wanted to coach. And I think it was really tough for me to ever see a path into that career. Um, so I guess it's tough to explain those, you know, those three years. And I was trying to get back to the Olympics 100%, but I also kind of knew I was ready. I also kind of knew that if I were to stop playing, I was ready for my next step. And I don't think in that moment I could define any specific, you know, day or time or when it all happened. But I was slowly transitioning in those in those three years. But I, I very much was trying to get to Pyeongchang and um, everything happens for a reason. So what was that like? I mean, so you go from being on, you know, the highest of highs. You try to make you try to make this team. Did you just access that emotional intelligence that we spoke about earlier, where you, you were where you said everything happened for a reason, or was that like an extra gut punch, being like, ah, oh, I don't get a chance to defend the gold medal? Yeah, and I think I was a little bit of everything, and I I wanted to get to that centralization year because I know that how I respond as an athlete, I really perform well in those environments, and I think if I got to that year, um, I could you know, I could really perform and I think be at my best, but those four years between Olympics is a long time. Like we're talking about me going from the age of 24 to 28 and a lot happens in your life and balancing it. And, you know, I was living in another country and um, it was, it was tough, but I think I slowly was getting there. You know, I made a couple of world championships right after the Olympics. So I was still part of the national program. I was still competing but I started to get sat for certain games when I was there and I slowly kind of start to feel myself on the way out. So it wasn't like one specific gut punch. It wasn't like when I got that phone call to say I was being released from hockey Canada and you know, you're, you're kind of, you're done now. Um, I wouldn't say I felt like one big gut punch cause I kind of saw it coming. Um, and, but it didn't make it any, any easier for sure. And um, a lot of it, I think in reflection is, I didn't maybe handle it as much in the moment. I don't, you know, transitioning from being an elite athlete into the real world, as you say, um, isn't easy. And I went through a lot of ups and downs and I attest to me coming out the other side to my support system, to having a passion for, you know, my future. And I think it took me to go through that. That's made me the woman I am today. And I'm so grateful for every heartache, every victory, everything that I learned because going through those low moments were so important for me to be where I am now. And I love where I am now. So perfect way to end that comment where you are now. So in typical Tara Watchhorn fashion, nothing's ever easy. Nothing's you're always looking to take out that machete and blaze a new trail. <laughs> so you're blazing an, a brand new trail that is so exciting and so amazing. What are you doing now? What is your current capacity? Yeah, so I'll backtrack really quick to like that moment where I was retired from being an athlete. And I was so lucky that the Boston University coaching job opened up to be an assistant coach there. And mm -hmm. I'm a young coach with other than really working camps and, you know, different things like that. I really didn't have a lot of experience. Brian DeRocher was still at BU who actually coached me when I was there as a player. And I reached out to him and I am so grateful that he took a chance on me as a young coach. And um, it was the, one of the biggest things and turning points that ever happened in my life. And I was in, got my foot in the door and um, I grew up so much. I spent the last four years there as an assistant coach. Um, I have learned so much, but at the end of the day, I'm grateful because coaching is everything that I thought it would be and more. And every day that I'm a coach, I, I just reinforces that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, I'm really passionate about skill development. I worked with the D there um, and the relationships you get with the players and inspiring the girls and building a culture. And I think that's the big thing. It was so hard to ever think about leaving BU. I get to start at my alma mater. And that, that somewhat stressed me out a little bit because I always wanted to be a head coach and I wanted to build that culture. I wanted to build everything I got to go through as an athlete. I was so fortunate and changed my life being a part of these environments. And that's what I want to do as a coach. I want to create those environments that inspires young women to grow and on and off the ice. And I think as a head coach, you get to have a little bit more of an influence on that. Um, and also building a program from scratch. You get to have a little bit more influence on that. So last summer, I mean, this past summer when the Stonehill College, you know, position opened up to be a head coach, um, it caught my eye because it's in Easton, Massachusetts. It's only 30 minutes south of Boston, which is where my husband is a police officer and where we live. Um, so the location, it catches your eye and it seems like a, 
like it could be a good progression. You know, I was never going to leave BU to go coach at a rival Boston school, you know, but with this position, I wouldn't be leaving BU. I'd be going to build something. And that's what kept drawing me in. So on top of the fact that the location was great, opportunity to be a head coach, but that I get to build a program from scratch. It just kept pulling me in and pulling me in. And I sat on it for a little bit. But when I got to campus and I looked into it and I got to start meeting people there and walk around, I got that gut feeling all over again that I got as a player. And obviously very different. It's a small campus. It's absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. And it's that community feel that hits you in the face as soon as you walk on campus and how everyone is, the passion around athletics there and how the role that it plays within the school and the excitement about a women's hockey program. And when I started to chat, you know, on my in my interview, like it turned into a conversation because they were just as excited about my vision of building culture as I was. And it just seemed like the right fit. You know, I didn't have to leave you, but this just felt like the right fit. And so I took a leap. I took the chance and I'm a few months into the job as the head coach of uh, Stonehill Women's Ice Hockey Program. So it, it's amazing because I heard you got some pretty good advice along the way too. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. You were one of the first people that I talked to and, and without hesitation, you were just like, yes, yes, do it. And a, go ahead. Made a, made a big difference. The people in your life that encourage you in those moments, it really does make a big difference. And, um, you know, you were definitely one of those people. Well, and I just appreciate you being willing to listen because one of the things we did talk about, and this isn't just for Tara, this is for everybody, like you're never going to feel 100% ready for that special place that you aspire to reach. You really, there's really never a time where you're like, you know what, I've, I have every piece of training I have and, and my mind's 100% and things are right in my life. Um, sometimes opportunity comes and you just have to have the confidence in the wherewithal to, to to say, you know what, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take this leap. I have a good support system, uh, and 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 I'm gonna and I'm gonna make this happen. I mean, it must be amazing for you to walk in or to have these conversations with these young ladies, and just be able to and and, and just be able to tell them a who you are and what you've done, and b we're gonna make history together. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it on the head, and we talked about it, and. Um, you're never going to feel ready. One of the best pieces of advice I got was that you're, it's never going to feel like the right time. I was like, the timing isn't right. Like there's always a reason not to do it. But when you believe in yourself and your vision and what truly will make you happy and you take that leap, I think of three big moments in my life where I've done that. And every time it was the best decision I ever made. And I always say, unless um, I'm uncomfortable, I'm probably not doing something right. And really push, I've lived by that my whole life, pushing myself outside my comfort zone. And in those moments, that's normally when I am doing something right. And taking this job was a, one of the big three that I reflect on. And it, it was the best decision I ever made. And I'm completely honest now, and I have families on campus. I mean, I tell them, I mean, I go back and forth from being excited and overwhelmed about 100 times a day. But that's what's telling me that I'm doing something right. Because I care. And this is what I want to do. And this is my dream. And it's uh it's been awesome you're getting me so excited i almost wish that i played women's hockey you know what i like i'm like <laughs> come on over <laughs> yeah, if, I could, if, if only we could turn back the clock about 40 40 years or so and uh, i could get out there but th this is amazing we so i'm gonna hit the chat a little bit because it's lighting up at this point so trisha says that she loves the advice and um we'll go we'll go from there uh patricia aka mom my mother says um that she's second uh, Trisha's earlier statement about blazing, about how you continue to be blazing the way and that you're going to make so many people better. So we have a question from Heidi. She's back. She wants to know, do you feel that recruiting will be as tough, uh, will be tough as this is a brand new program? 100%. I mean, it's a challenge. It's a daunting task, right? To build a program from scratch. There is currently no one here, right? It's like I am recruiting an entire team for our first year to start in 2022. But in a lot of ways, um, I get to sell my vision, which is makes it somewhat easy. You know, I I never thought it would come as naturally as it did, but it has. And it's come so natural because I've wanted this my entire life. And we're getting way more traction than I ever thought we would at this point in the process. Uh, I think that when I was a young player, I wanted to be a part of a young program. I wanted to be a part of creating history. I wanted to be a go-to player. So I think now, obviously that parallel in my life is there and I'm looking for those athletes. 
like I was. I'm looking for young women who want to take a chance with me on this, that want to be a go-to player, that want to leave their mark on a program. And and that's what I'm selling. You know, that inaugural year, though, that first team, those girls, you can't take away from them that they are the first, you know, young women to ever put that jersey on. And as much as I have a vision for what I see and the values and the foundation I want to build um, on top of Stonehill's already amazing community, it's those girls that are going to define it. Those girls are going to define what it means to be a women's ice hockey player at Stonehill. And I'm excited to just work with them to build it. We get to build this together. And that's what I'm selling. And that's what's so exciting. And um, obviously that community, like we talked about at Stonehill and everything that I saw when I first got on campus, I truly felt like that, like that foundation is there. And we have a really great community to do exactly what I just said. So I think that's what we're selling. And like I said, way more traction than I ever thought we'd have this early on. That's amazing. Um, so we have a pretty funny comment here from John. John says, right now, I don't know who is a better speaker. Dean, you may have met, Dean may have met his match. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. So, so, you know, typical John fashion, he throws a little backhanded compliment to me in there and says, I agree that uh, Dean is a good go-to for advice. So, uh, John, thank you. Thank you for doing what you normally do, for complimenting me, smacking me, and then picking me up again at the end. So I appreciate that. Uh, from there, so we talked about, so you're building this program and we're getting down to the last few minutes here. So I just want to talk about, talk about some of the things as far as commitment between, actually, you know what? No, I'm going to ask you a different question. Early, we spoke about men coaching versus women coaching. What are some of the advantages that some of these young ladies might have playing for you over playing for a man? Because we talked about it earlier that it seems like men are they can coach on both sides and it doesn't seem like there's any obstruction from men coaching the women's game and men's coaching the men's game, but you don't see women coaching the men's game. So talk about some of the obstructions and how you, 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 and what you said earlier about maybe only having about half the opportunities. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a show about having tough conversations and this is definitely one, you know, spot on. Like I mentioned earlier, it was hard to ever see a, a path into the, to make a living out of coaching on the women's side. And I think that's the tough piece is to find those positions where you can make a living coaching and doing what you do. And we're slowly starting to see it, you know, to, to the point that you kind of just ended with, we're starting to see some women coaching in the NBA. We're starting to see, you know, women break through on the men's side. And, and I fully believe we have to get to a point where the most qualified person should get the job. But to answer the first part of your question, I think the advantages of women in these positions, coaching women, is that I literally went through everything that they're going through. And I think that the women's game has grown now to a point where there's, you know, women my age who have, because if you think about it, 1990 was the first world championships ever for women's hockey. And that wasn't that long ago. And so now we're finally getting these amazing women who have dedicated their life to this sport and literally made so many sacrifices along the way. Um, and to now have the opportunity to have these women in these coaching and leadership positions, I think it's obviously only going to help. It's going to help the game. And I think having a, having diversity and having people from all backgrounds is important in any, you know, in any leadership capacity in any team. Um, so part of me, you know, there is a place for men and women, I think on both sides, but I think the advantages of women in this position and in this field is that, you know, I've gone through it. And um, I'm invested in growing it and keeping it going. And that's amazing because, I mean, was there a point in time where maybe you felt differently about that? 100%. Yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, I grew up and a lot of my coaches I had were all men. That's just the way that it was. You know, I think men at that, at that time, we just had more experience um, with hockey. Like the women's game was still growing. I was born in 1990 myself. And What year um, were you born? 1990. Okay. I was 14, but we'll talk about that later. Go on. <laughs> and I think the mix of my real life experiences of only really having men and great male coaches, amazing ones who I looked up to, I guess I only saw that in the future. And I actually remember thinking to myself when I was going through, you know, some processes of picking different teams that I was like, I don't know if I could ever play for a woman. And now I'm sitting here and like, I really am frustrated with myself for ever thinking that. But I think a lot of it was just the lack of exposure. Um, and the stereotypes around women in leadership positions, 100%, and the style of leadership that they have. And um, and I and we were talking about it, too. Like you can go as far back as, like, 
every sports movie I watched, I always watched the coach because that's always what I wanted to do. And I don't think there's a movie out there about a women, a woman coach. Like, I'm, I mean, I could quote, Brandon gets so mad at me. I could quote, remember the Titans, every word, you know, Glory Road, <laughs> Miracle, all those movies. And, and constantly I'm looking up to males as my role models, which is great. But at the same time, I think that lack of exposure really kind of shaped my decision-making process. And I just feel so fortunate. I ended up getting into the Hockey Canada side. I started to have more women. I think of amazing role models in my life, like Mel Davidson, uh, Gina Kingsbury now, who's the GM of Hockey Canada. Uh, such amazing women in our field that are paving the way. Um, it's so exciting for, for coaching and leadership. I think it's changing, but I think a lot of the stereotypes in our culture around men and women follow that into the leadership world, into coaching. And I think we're slowly getting there, but still a lot of room to go. I, I see that's exciting because I'm sitting here right now and as a content creator, all I can think about is got to be a Pat summit movie. Yeah. Maybe even a, maybe a Don Staley movie one day and maybe just maybe a Tara watch on movie. You <laughs> uh, laugh. We'll see. <laughs> you laugh, you laugh, but your journey and your history of blazing trails is something that I would watch. I think a lot of anybody who's taken the time to watch this episode is intrigued. I am now a women's hockey, ice hockey fan. I was never a women's ice hockey fan before, but during those conversations we had, when you were, when you were looking at the Stonehill, I said, what did I tell you? I said, I will be at your first game. So with that said, Dan wants to know, what is your home rank? So when you do Great play, what rank? Man. Yeah, so right now we do not have a rink on our beautiful campus. We will be playing at a Bridgewater Ice Arena. Um, that's our, our men moved over there from Foxborough where they used to be last year. Obviously, with the pandemic, they only got to play one game there. But we get to build our locker room there. We get to make it our home. And um, I think we're going to try to create a great environment in there uh, for the girls to, to get our first season going. And um, hopefully, eventually, we'll get a rink on campus. Outstanding. We're down to about three minutes. I'm going to blaze through some amazing comments. So Caitlin says, I would follow your lead anywhere, Tara. Wow. All right. A lady um, which with a similar last name. Right, I think yeah. she knows you. She says, I've watched Tara grow from a little girl to an amazing woman, always with a passion for all she does. So very proud, proud aunt. That's mm -hmm. amazing, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for checking us out. All right. And finally, uh, Trisha says she is a new fan now, want to go to the home games. You all are right? welcome to come, everyone. Well, <laughs> like I said, you're, you're, you're going to have all kinds of fans there. Um, John says we should get a bus. We should head there Hoosier style, which is another great, uh, great sports movie. movie. Another great sports movie. So, Tara, we got about two and a half minutes left. Tell us what's what do you got besides building the program? What's exciting to you and, and how can we follow you? Uh, with regards to Stonehill, yeah, I mean, I think we got a handful of girls now who are are verbally committed. It's things are happening, and we have girls already from all over, whether it's from Europe, Canada, the U.S. And I think what's going to be so cool is building that team environment with girls from all over the world and girls that have women that have dedicated their lives to playing Division One college hockey. And I think you're going to see a great product. Obviously, building the culture is first and foremost the priority. I'm really process-oriented as a coach, and I think when we put that together, the wins are going to come. And I think you're going to see a lot of character. You're going to see a team that will go through a wall for each other, and that's the ultimate goal, and I think those teams are fun to watch. Um, so I'd say it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really exciting. There's such an amazing I, – I, I don't know if I've told you this already, but since I took the job, if I leave my house with something that says Stonehill on it, I run into a minimum of five people that are like, oh, my niece went there, my aunt went there, my cousin, or I went there, and I've never heard a bad thing about this school. And the community there and the alumni and the passion, I mean, all the people that work there have been there for like 10 to 20 years. I just think there's so much excitement and such an amazing community we can build off of to generate excitement around our program. And I'm hoping to tap into that and hopefully contribute to our school spirit and bring in some pretty amazing women to you know be student athletes. And I think it's uh, the goal is to make it fun to watch and to you know have a community with us and a community to help us build. So I am open to everyone um, that wants to come and support us in any capacity. Tara, we're up on time. This has been an amazing conversation. Did you think an hour could go by that quickly? Talking to you, I knew it was going to go by fast. 
<laughs> you've been amazing. You've you created a fan out of me, uh, not just of, of you as a coach, but you as, as a person. I'm going to support you. Folks, thank you so much for, for tuning in to this special episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. Please like and subscribe to our channels, to our pages on all your favorite social media channels. If you prefer the podcast or on all your major podcast platforms, this is just the beginning, season six of Difficult Conversations. So Tara, thanks again for coming out. And for everybody else, thanks so much. And we'll see you on the next one. Good night. Hashtag Supply the Why.